Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. When we find a brand leader that we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other gutsy brands out in the world. In today's episode, Gut Check CRO Jess Gedeke sits down to chat with industry favorite Rob Volpe, the CEO of Ignite360, a market research company founded on the principles of curiosity and empathy. Rob is the author of the unconventional yet wildly popular business book, Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time. Listen in while Jess and Rob discuss how incorporating empathy into their core offerings helped Ignite360's clients breakthrough and genuinely connect with their consumers. How leaning into innovation, even in uncertain economic times, is essential. And how to have more than just a transactional relationship with your client partners through the art of simply asking questions. Kick back and enjoy another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. All right. Well, welcome, Rob, to the Gutsiest Brands podcast. You know, I was thinking about this conversation, and this is a tricky one because you're an expert moderator, an expert interviewer, and now I'm going to interview you. So, any tips before we just jump in? <laughs> um, Jess, first, thank you so much for having me uh, on the show. I'm really excited to be here and to just have time to talk to you. And I think that, in my mind, is the uh, the tip that I would offer is don't think of it as interviewing. Think of it as a conversation. This isn't 60 minutes. I'm guessing you don't have any <laughs> questions, but even then the best interviews are the ones that are conversations. It's, it's just talking and getting to know somebody and, you know, be having that curiosity and where that can, can take you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I can have conversations all day, so I'll just get comfortable and, and get into it. So we are industry peers, right? We're both uh, in companies that work with clients and consulting them through insights. And I think we have some mutual respect between our organizations. And I certainly respect you as an industry peer. So really excited to dive in to perhaps one of the most important aspects of Gutsy Brands, which is empathy. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing now? Yeah, so I'm Rob Volpe. I am the CEO and founder of Ignite 360. We are um, now we have evolved into being a full service uh, insight strategy and training firm. So we do qualitative and quantitative. But really, what sets us apart is that ability to um, not only build empathy with consumers and make that connection between our clients and the consumer, but also bring it to life in storytelling and and using great storytelling to inspire people to. Uh, drive their business forward. I'm based in San Francisco. Uh, through the course of my professional journey, the role of empathy has just always, it's its always been a, a strong personal value and, and sort of superpower of mine. But being in the insights world, noticed that 
disconnect that so many people have um, when they are, are faced with people that are other. And then the surprising thing is that that otherness is actually people, um, you know, marketers, um, anybody in any sort of marketing or R&D function, and their consumer. Because so often the people that have the, you know, the, the advanced degree, the six-figure salary, aren't necessarily the consumers of their own product and service. And so, so critical to have empathy. But we were finding, and this is you know, 10 years ago in the early days of the company, we'd put together these amazing experiences and then clients would still, I, I remember one time a client was just like, I still don't understand why people would spend more than a dollar for a cup of yogurt. And it was like, but we just like, you heard it in the words of the consumer and like, it's really clear it's right there. And so we had to start, start thinking like, well, what's getting in their way? Cause there's, it's not that we can tell the story any better necessarily. It's there's something that's getting in their way and how do we break through that? And, and that's where uh, we started developing all of our empathy offerings. And I started to to call myself an empathy activist mm -hmm. and many other things have come out of that, but I'll pause there so we can actually have a conversation and I'm not. <laughs> I'm no, I, I love hearing the the path that brought you to where you are now, which is, is really the empathy activist that you mentioned. So I want to actually go back in time for just a minute and ask you, what was your very first job that you had in your life where you were paid money? newspaper delivery boy. And that was, you know, a great experience, except for the thing, fact that I'm not a morning person. And <laughs> that's tricky. So, yeah, that's that part of it sucked getting up at five, five 30 every morning. However, um, the money was great when you're, you know, 13, 14 years old and you're <laughs> Ooh, I've got $80. What do I do with that? Um, buy comic books was the answer. And I invested <laughs> all of my money. But even more so, um, and I write about it in the book, um, it was an early um, uh, staging ground for me where I started, like, I loved going around and collecting payments from everybody because I get to go to their homes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'd invite me in and we'd end up having a conversation and get to know one another and, and end up talking about you know, um, their lives, rituals, holiday traditions, and, and their family and mine. We talk about politics in some cases. We talk about wide, wide range of options. And I realize now as an adult, I'm like, wow, I was doing ethno ethnographic interviews mm -hmm. at a really early age. And I absolutely loved that. And so when I did finally discover qualitative research and, and moderating um, 15 years or so years ago, it was like, oh, this all makes sense. It, like everything's coming together. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting to think about how in those early years you were developing the principles that I'm sure you, you use every day in your job. So let's talk about the book. Uh, Tell me more about that is the title of the book. Um, and it's written in a pretty unconventional manner uh, for a business book, right? Can you tell us about the book and about that, why it's important that it's unconventionally written? Yes. So uh, a gutsy decision, I think on my part, I knew I, when I started the company, like when you become a CEO, all of a sudden people start saying to you like, oh, what book are you going to write? Because that's what apparently CEOs do. And I was like, I'm starting a company. I'm an entrepreneur. I have like no free time to do this. And then a few years uh, went by and I, I had the idea um, for the book and the topic of empathy. But then I was looking at the the books that were out there and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to write 
a business book. I want to write a book that people are going to want to read and that they're going to be entertained by. And you learn through the stories and the entertainment element. And those things stick with you, I think, in a much deeper way than sort of the didactic learning that you might go through with some of the business books that are out there, training programs and things like that. So using story became a a key component to the book. and, And it was important to me when I was talking to publishers that they understood that, that I was filling the book with my own experiences, my failures, we were talking about failure before we started recording, my failures of trying to be empathetic with people that were other from me so that people could learn from that rather than me just sort of sermon on the mount, you must do this, you must do that. And I've I've found in my life, people don't respond when I'm delivering that message, but when I'm telling stories and telling stories about me and things that are relatable, then people do engage with it. And I've received that feedback now. Like one woman came up to me at a conference I, I didn't really know well, and she was like, oh my gosh, you are like on my nightstand. I'm reading your book every night and I don't want it to end. I'm like, you know, and, and oh, I was- What a great feeling. Yeah, it was just like so wonderful. Like it was really resonating with her. Or when people have reached out again, especially when it's it's strangers, because you know they have no vested interest in this. It's not about a friendship. But I've had people reach out and go, wow, I'm talking to my CEO differently. I'm managing my people differently because of the stories in your book. It helped me rethink how I'm approaching um, conversations and, and having empathy myself. And, you know, as the, the premise to the book, you talk about how we're, we are in an empathy crisis. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Like why it's so important that the world <laughs> reads this book and embodies the principles? Yeah. And, and um, if we pause and look around our, our lives, our society, it's not hard to see that there is a, a lack of empathy and understanding and collaboration and all the things that empathy fuels. And there is actually data that supports that. And the thing that really got me initially uh, was a study that came out in 2010. And the University of Michigan had done this uh, meta-analysis of 76 universities looking at students' ability to have empathy. And it was over a period of, of time from 79 to 2009. And they found that from the start of the study to 2001, there'd been a 40% decline in the ability of students to see the point of view of their peers. And you were like, oh my God. Ouch. Yeah. And then going, okay, well, that's 2001. That person today is in their early 40s, most likely. They are a productive member of society. They are working. They maybe have a family, a partner, key relationships, a member of their community, and they have less empathy. And then you see how all of that can start to play out in the way that's that we're not engaging with one another, that we've become very rigid in our points of view and we're afraid to engage. Um, and then more recent data finds that Ignite360 has done. We've taken that exact same question the University of Michigan has asked, and we presented that uh, to a thousand U.S. adults back in January of this year. 31% were unable to agree with the statement. I can easily see the point of view of others. And that question to me, the answer is just such a gimme answer. Like, hmm, I'm going to, I'm going to look like a jerk if I don't say yes to this and agree. So I think the number is probably even higher 
We also found uh, another question we had asked people about things that they were worried about, you know, global worries and concerns. So, you know, top of the list, food prices, gas prices, energy prices, ranging from like 74% concerned about food prices, 65% or so worried about energy and gas. But 60% were also worried about our inability to get along, about that gridlock that's happening, not only in Congress, but just in society. So there's a lot of concern about it, but people don't necessarily know what to do. And there are a lot of people that don't even understand it. So I set out on a mission to demystify empathy for people, to help um, people understand through what we call the five steps to empathy, how to actually get to a place of empathy in the moment when you're having a conversation with someone. So that makes a lot of sense for why that's important in the world and in society. And if we go down a couple of of layers into the industry that that we both work in, which is helping brands make great decisions that will um, help them connect with the people that they're seeking to serve. Why is empathy so important to our client base or our industry in innovation, marketing insights? It's a great question. And hopefully everybody's like going, well, yeah, empathy should be important or is important. Because if you look at the definition of empathy, it is cognitive empathy in particular is understanding the point of view of other people, Mm -hmm. being able to make a connection off of that. Well, what is insights? Insights are understanding how people are feeling, behaving, a key understanding of that, and then something that's actionable that you can can do something about to grow your business. So empathy is part of insights. And if you don't have empathy with your consumer, yes, you can go about um, making a new product, a service, an offering, an ad campaign, but it's not going to ring Uh, and connect truly, it's going to ring hollow and false. And which of those, uh, you you talk about five steps to empathy in the book, which of those do you think is the most challenging for people to overcome, particularly as it relates to, you know, again, our industry and and trying to understand consumers or humans um, and develop brands? Let me run through the five steps really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is dismantle your judgment. Second one is to ask good questions. Third is to actively listen. Fourth is to integrate into understanding. And the fifth one is to use uh, solution imagination. So what I've found seen, and we have a little bit of data to back this up, that first step dismantling our, your judgment is the one that gets in most people's way. Um, particularly people that are um, you know, more highly educated, whether they're working in marketing or some uh, insights or another role. It's the fact that as we go through our education process, I think we are uh, told and then get out, out into the workplace, we're told that we need to have an opinion and we've got to like support our opinion and back it up and fight for it. Well, that ends up becoming judgment and being judgmental. And so, again, I can't understand why somebody's you know willing to pay more than a dollar for a cup of yogurt. There's a lot of judgment and an inability to step four, integrate into your understanding. Like just he's that person was not making room in their head that there's another way of viewing the world and maybe paying more than a dollar for a cup of yogurt is appealing. And why is that? And getting curious about it so that you can understand if you want to fight that with your own brand and your own business, what to do about it. And that curiosity you just mentioned, isn't it kind of cool that we get paid to be curious that that's like our job? It's kind of cool, right? 
It's so cool. <laughs> like we're, I just think about the projects that we're working on right now and without divulging anything, but we're, we're talking with people right now about hot tubs, about beauty products and the holidays. Um, we're talking to people about technology, like it's and healthcare. It, it's amazing. It's so cool. And that's what I love about being on the consulting side is you know, it's all the same person. There is a person out there that has a hot tub, wears beauty products for the holiday events, you know, has some form of technology and, you know, is involved in a healthcare situation or using a hospital network or whatever. That person is out there. It's all the same person. And so we get to understand the 360 and who that person really is and bringing all of that to light. Yeah, absolutely. And and we at Gut Check refer to that as um, agile human experience intelligence, which is a multi-dimensional way to understand the human experience, whether it's the context that people find themselves in as they're interacting with brands and making decisions, you know, their underlying personality that drives a lot of their behavior and decision-making the emotions they're feeling and the gaps that exist in emotional experiences. So it's just such rewarding work and, um, an important work because, you know, people need brands, they need products and services. And when brands can do the work of empathetic understanding and develop products and services that actually meet them in the moment, that's important. And it's rewarding. Yes. We in the industry, and I think in particular, our two organizations and others like us, we really have a gifted opportunity because we're helping our clients solve problems for their consumers. I've always believed that if you are focused on the consumer and the needs of your consumer, that will take care of your sales problems, all the other things that will then make your you know shareholders happy. It'll make Wall Street happy, but you've got to really be zeroed in on what is important to the consumer. And you've got to have that understanding. And oftentimes, we are not our consumer. Therefore, you've got to have that constant empathy and, and touch base. And especially now in this ever-changing world uh, that we're living in post-pandemic and just the, you know, we're, we're still seeing the fallout of the pandemic on the changes in people's values and behaviors. Um, and so it's more important now than ever for brands and companies and services to really understand where their consumers are coming from. Absolutely. And, you know, let's, let's stay there for a minute because we're having a, a social and cultural and economic moment. <laughs> it seems like that those moments just keep happening. And a lot of, uh, a lot of companies, I think during times of economic uncertainty, they tend to put a pause on big decisions around innovation and, and others. Um, What's your point of view on that? Because um, I'd love to hear your thoughts or your experiences with companies that really lean in to innovation during these uncertain times versus you know being hesitant or shying away from it. What's, what's your point of view? What are you seeing? We're, we see that as well. And I think there's a mix of clients that are focused on the here and now. Um, and, and you know, in some cases, like they've got crazy supply chain disruptions or whatever, whatever. However, even then, you can't stop innovating. You can't stop thinking about the future. That's the role, uh, partly of the role of marketing or innovation, whoever the R&D team is, 
is to figure out what's next and where things are headed. Um, and if you're not, if you think about most companies, what do they have? I mean, if they're really agile and, and in the right setup, six month lead time, but a lot of places, 18 months to two years. So things that you're thinking about today are going to come out in late 2024, early 2025. Right, right. If you start today. And most of them aren't ready to actually start. So just keep knocking that on. So imagine that when we get through whatever this uncertainty economically is, your pipeline is just, you, you, there's there's no pipeline. So now you've, okay, great. You've weathered a recession, but then you've got a trickle in terms of really growing and meeting the shifting needs of your consumers. And you're just going to have to start all over again you know, whenever that period comes. Mm -hmm. So you have to continue to always lean in and innovate. You can't take your eye off the here and now of the business, but you've also got to be thinking about the future um, and what that can lead. And an example, even within our own company, I remember uh, being on my last plane flight, March 10th, 2020, um, as, as the world was shutting down with the pandemic. And I was like, oh my God, I, I was thinking to myself, this is so massive. This is changing, going to change everything. And we need to keep track of this. We need to, the clients are going to want to understand what's going on. And so we leaned in and we started navigating to a new normal, which is a series where it's longitudinal, qualitative and quantitative, still running now, um, you know, almost three years later with over 700 hours of interviews, tens of thousands of quant responses. But we have a history now we can see how values and behaviors are changing in society and in the moment there was a lot of oh well we can get all that data from nielsen or tracking it and Cantar is doing this or that whatever but now we actually have something where when people are trying to understand the recession or inflation and gas prices and the influences we have the historical data to refer back to so we can show the changes over time and tell the story so that clients have better confidence in understanding the immediate, what they're seeing, and also start to plan for the future. So that's an example of leaning in in a time when everything was shutting down. We made the decision to lean in and continue to innovate and create something that could possibly become a product for us down the road. And that's a great example of standing behind a bold idea and doing something that is probably seen as risky. But what I love about that as well is that it's grounded in how can we help understand the human experience? I mean, that's what, what your tracker does. Um, and we have a similar uh, or a, a kind of corollary in our business. It's gut economics, um, but it's, it's applying a human lens, um, an emotional lens to the societal and economic trends that lots of companies report on, but what does it mean to the human being that's experiencing the inflationary pressure that, you know, is, is struggling to, to their employment? I mean, there's, there's so many human stories to that. So I love that you've got, you know, your, your finger on the pulse of that. That's really cool. We should, we should compare notes on what we're learning. I think another cultural moment we're having, which is really positive is that a lot of clients are looking at their strategies and saying, how can we be more inclusive? How can we be more inclusive in our marketing and our innovation? How can brands, how can leaders um, tackle this goal of being more inclusive? Like how do they go about doing that? Uh, it's a conscious decision that the organization and really from the top down, they've got to make the commitment to do that and then be open to having the conversations and asking the right questions 
asking the right questions to the right people and also by the right people as well. I am old enough and I've been in marketing long enough that I've seen multicultural marketing go through many iterations starting back in the 90s. And I think, you know, each one ends up looking a little different. And what's hopefully different now is this understanding that this isn't just some other group that we put into a box like, oh, we're going to have, here's our Hispanic strategy. Here's our, but really how do you understand all the different nuances that and the intersectionality of things and find the commonalities um, and, and the relevance actually for your brand and your campaign or the products that you're going to do, but to make sure that you are representing who your consumers actually are and not just defaulting to the people that look just like me. So how do they do that? What are some tactical advice you might give? I uh, got to go get some empathy is what they got to do. So, you know, and, and this is not just like, oh, check the box. We did some focus groups. This is like go in and, you know, have part of your team go in and immerse and really get to know and have the conversations and, you know, um, listen and, and, you dismantle your judgment. And there's different ways of doing that. We've got, you know, Lifeology is a game that we invented that brings people together. You play a board game and uh, you basically ask questions of each other, but you both answer, both players answer the same question. So instead of having that behind the glass sort of scenario, you are actually having a conversation with somebody that can be very different from you. And it's really fun to see like division leadership, business unit leadership playing with working class consumers mm -hmm. uh, and finding that, oh, hey, they actually both like beach vacations and the things that they like and have in common. And then there's things in their life, their, their socioeconomic levels, let that beach vacation play out in different ways where the business leader might be going to St. Bart's and the working class consumer might be going to the lake or down to the Gulf Coast, but that's okay. They like the feeling of sand in their toes and the waves lapping and that cool breeze in the evenings. Um, and it's building those connections and finding the things that are similar about us and using that as a base to then start to have the conversations by being curious about the things that are different. And once you understand like, oh, we are all more similar than we are different, you can start there. And then as you come across the differences, it gives you an opportunity to better understand them and learn about it and, and to be curious. So yeah, there's a lot of different things. There's, there's, you know, faster engagements like lifeology, there's deeper deep dives, there's making sure that it's being brought up and brought in and making sure that you've got the right people on your team and at the table, um, having the conversations and, and talking about it and that you're not just, um, doing, you know, tokenism, um, but making sure that you're actually properly representing um, who your consumers actually are today. If you're working on Gen Z, more than half of Gen Z is, is a, a minority. I mean, already that minority majority population is here. Mm -hmm. So if you're not understanding what's constituting that minority majority and how they are thinking and moving through the world, you are going to get left behind very quickly. Absolutely. And that is why it's so important that our workforces, right, they 
they uh, mirror what our client base is and that our client base mirrors what the consumer base is. And so um, I know a lot of companies are trying, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're all trying to do better, but it's, it's critical because if you don't have those folks, the otherness around the table, you're not going to come to the right conclusion in, in my opinion. What about how we as um, research partners and suppliers, how can we be empathetic to our clients and the challenges that they're facing? Do you have any words of wisdom for us being empathetic to our, our client partners? This and many service businesses are all relationship-based. I mean, we're humans. It's what we do. We connect with each other and we have relationships. And so if you think about your working relationship, either with your clients, with your own suppliers and vendors, and with each other, using empathy, getting to a place of empathy, and then using that to inform how you communicate, how you collaborate decision-making, problem-solving, um, you know, forgiveness, building trust. Empathy is critical to all of those different skills and traits, and that's what makes us better partners to our clients. So it's about asking good questions. It's about, you know, first dismantle your judgment um, with people, but it's about asking good questions, you know, and, and whether that's as simple as saying, tell me more about what you meant when you said, or what are you, tell me more about what you're thinking about this project, what your needs are, how you're going to use it. Put yourself into your client's shoes. This should not be a transactional relationship. The transaction, of course, there's a transaction. We're in a capitalistic society. That comes later. It's about understanding people's needs and understanding who they are and what they're looking for so that you can help serve that um, and help them achieve that, or possibly even say, mm, you know what, you'd be better served with this solution and being okay with that. You're helping people out ultimately. And that's what it's all about. Um, but it is trying to understand where they're coming from. So you're asking good questions and then you're actively listening. Mm-hmm. Are you giving somebody your full attention? So much of the, the great resignation got caused by the lack of empathy uh, that was going on in organizations where, you know, somebody would have their kids doing cartwheels behind and their boss wasn't holding, like having the grace to say, hey, what's going on there? Is everything okay? Maybe we can have this call at another time. And that turned off a lot of people and they decided, oh, it's better to go someplace else. Similarly, with your clients, like ask them what's going you know, how are you? What's happening? How's your life you know, let's talk about the holidays, have the little chit chats, um, because you're connecting as human beings. And that's how you're going to help understand what's motivating somebody. Um, and then that leads to a better understanding of what their business challenges might be and how they're thinking about whatever is, is happening. So empathy, super critical. And, and then, yeah, like applying that fourth step, integrating into your understanding it's not just about you. There are other ways of looking at the world. We've had the ice cream conversation. <laughs> What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Everybody has something slightly different. Usually it doesn't make them wrong. It just means it's a different way of looking at the world and that's okay. You need to then be curious though, and ask the questions to understand where they're coming from and make room in your head for that. And then finally, using solution imagination. So put yourself in their shoes. 
Can you think of a particular brand or campaign that you think has really demonstrated empathy, either one that you've worked with and been a part of, or just that you observe as a consumer? You know, the one that keeps coming up for me, probably because I see it all the time when I'm sitting on an airplane, is uh, United's um, campaign around um, uh, good and doing and being a good organization and doing good for people. Good leads the way, when good leads the way, I think is what they call it. And they've done a really nice job of understanding, like they've taken the travel experience beyond just the functional, like we're, we'll get you there on time. And they've gone into this place because they've had an empathy to understand, well, there's actually emotional things that are happening behind this and why somebody needs to get there on time. And we're going to, you know, we, they in that campaign, and I did not work on it, um, but they brought that forward in the way it's, it's showing up. And it's not just about the passengers, but they also highlight um, the cabin crew, the pilots, the ground staff, the, the baggage handlers. So you really get this beautiful sense of the, the entire ecosystem at that airline um, and what happens when good leads the way and, and how that actually benefits, you know, you as a passenger and it helps you get to, you know, your destination, but showing those acts of kindness that the, the United employees will do or the things that, that they're constantly going through. And the benefit that that causes, I think, is a really great campaign. And talk about, you know, meeting people where they are in the moment of travel. I mean, there's so much, you know, anxiety and stress and fear and also some, you know, hopefulness because you're maybe you're going somewhere fun. But um, that's a really great example of a brand that's found a way to connect. So thanks for sharing that. Okay, we're going to move to our spill your guts lightning round. Rob, are you ready? Are you ready for this? I don't know. Here we go. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually not that painful. I promise. What's the first brand that you remember as a child? Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a, is that a good memory? Yeah. Kool-Aid was um, something that we always had at home Um, and, you know, summertime drink. I grew up in Indiana. It was always hot and humid and mom would make Kool-Aid. She bought the individual packets so she could control the amount of sugar that she was adding. Right. She added about half of what they recommended, but be that as it may. Um, Yeah. So Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid. And then actually I was fortunate. I was, I worked at Kraft Foods, um, about 20 years ago and got to work on Kool-Aid. So oh, cool. it was a nice full circle moment for me. Yeah. That's fun. We, we talked to quite a few leaders where that's the case. They kind of grow up with a brand and then end up running it, which is pretty, pretty cool. Okay. What book or movie best represents your career journey? Anti-Mame. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where'd that probe come from? <laughs> um, that'd be a good title for a book. Um, Anti-MAME works for me on so many different levels. And I'm talking about the Rosalind Russell uh, version, not the uh, unfortunate Lucy MAME uh, movie musical, but her whole, like her, her statement about life and one of the key messages in the, the movie is you've got to live. Life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. And that's just been something in my life and in my career that I've really taken to heart and tried to practice. I mean, prior to getting into insights, I w- I've been in marketing um, since 1995. 
and marketing services really, but I've been in PR, I've done promotional marketing, I've done marketing communications, I've done partnership marketing, I've done grassroots marketing, and uh, then I and promotions, I think I mentioned that. And then I got into insights. And then I've been in insights for 15 years. I had sampled from the banquet, um, from the buffet table, and I'm better for that um, because I'm able to draw from all of those experiences and put those to play just as with Auntie Mame, it's made her a much more worldly individual and she's learned so much and has so many different perspectives. So that movie is it for me. Wow. Very cool. I love hearing about that. And yeah, learn something new every day. How would you describe your job to a child? How have I described my job to a child? Um, I tell people, I tell kids that I help companies understand what it is that you want and you like so that they can make about a toy or, you know, we'll choose something around them, your favorite food, so that they can make more of those things that you like. What is the most used emoji on your phone? It is probably, well, I know on LinkedIn, it is either the heart or the palms gratitude. And actually here, I, none of those are dirty. I'll show you. <laughs> it is the heart to start. Yep. The okay. heart and then the yeah. palms and then a laughing. And yeah, I'm not, maybe I'm not super advanced. Um, that's actually a pretty diverse set in your, in your most used. I like this. And thanks for the the actual screen share of it. We're fact checking it. I like it. Exactly. <laughs> and we have a gutsy brand playlist. It is really awesome and fun. So we ask each of our, um, gutsy brands podcast interviewees, uh, what song would you add to that playlist? Running up that hill by Kate Bush. Wow. You really had that one at the ready. It is on my, um, I was asked for an empathy playlist, um, about a year ago. And so I put some thought into like songs that represent empathy in the five steps. And, but to me, um, I've been a fan of that song since 1988, uh, shortly after it came out and has had a lot of meaning for me, but to me, it is ultimately about empathy. And, you know, uh, if I only could make a deal with God and get us to swap our places, that's all about empathy and being able to understand how the other person is is feeling or, or believing. And the song itself with that pulsating, the drum, the synth and all of that, like that, I think if that doesn't get your courage up, I know for me, that's the song that I will listen to before I've got a speaking engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, when I want a little, you know, focus. That's your walk-up music. It totally is. Totally is. And so I was so excited when all of a sudden it showed up on Stranger Things. I was going to say, it's before. seeing a resurgence. Yeah. I just burst. Uh, I was so, so excited. And I'm so excited that my favorite artist has found a new audience and a new generation. But yes, that would be my contribution to the playlist. And now it's on the Gutsy Brands playlist as it should be. Excellent. Yeah. This has been such a rewarding conversation, Rob. Thanks for taking time. Um, I mean it. I really do appreciate your book. And at Gut Check, we've uh, learned about these principles. You've helped train us on how to be more empathetic to each other and to our clients. So we really appreciate your support and, you know, thanks for paving the way. 
Thank you so much, Jess, for the support, for having me on. Um, and just, I mean, everybody at Gut Check, just getting it and getting what empathy is all about. It's really critical to make the world a better place. One conversation at a time. Jess, it's always a delight to talk with Rob, isn't it? It really is. It's like a breath of fresh air. And, you know, we've spent some time with Rob here at Gut Check to do some empathy training. And so it's just so nice to hear his lessons. And he's such a natural at these ethnographic interviews. I love where it started with him as a paper boy. I just feel like it was such a cool conversation and my favorite song choice so far. Yeah, it was an epic song for an epic playlist. I'm really excited about that one. So let's jump into what you think today's key takeaways were. So I think the first, you know, is a result of a lot of the storytelling that Rob did, but it's this idea of appreciating the full human experience. And he used the example of a person who is, you know, considering buying a hot tub at the same time is accessing a healthcare network at the same time is making decisions on beauty products over the holidays. It's one person. And so we really believe that too. We call it human experience intelligence at Gut Check, but it's about this multidimensional understanding of human beings in all the contexts in which they are making decisions in their daily lives, all the you know points in time that were that where they're having these experiences and maybe having emotional gaps. I just loved how he how he talked about that because it's true. We're not just one consumer of one category. We are human beings that are are doing and buying lots of different things. Yeah, that's true. We're very complex. I wish it was that easy that we we're only thinking one thing at one time, but that's just not how it works. And you know what, Rob, I just really, really appreciate about him is he's so good at reminding us how to celebrate people's otherness. It's just such a beautiful word and, and, and idea. And to get there, you have to ask lots and lots of questions, open-ended questions. And, you know, what really stuck with me was his mention of, you know, there's a, there's a business leader who might have a high income and, and his experience with a beach vacation, it might be very different than someone who is a working class individual and their, their beach vacation. But when you really start asking questions and, and unpacking their desired experiences, they're looking for similar things, right? They want to hear the waves lapping against the shore and feel the sand in their toes it's different, like it's different contexts, but they want to feel the same things. And I just found that idea very unifying and very inspiring. And I think the other piece that I will really take with me is how to employ these empathy principles to how we work with our client partners, right? Not just thinking about consumers, but really with our clients and the principles remain, right? Ask great questions, um, practice active listening, understand their motivations, understand their needs. So you can develop solutions that really meet them where they are. It's something that I'm proud of how we do that at gut check. I think Rob, uh, sends sets a great example in that regard. And it's something I'll continue to strive for moving forward. So overall really enjoyed uh, the time with Rob Volpe. I've got his book. Tell me more about that right here on my desk. It truly is a great set of stories and we wish them all the best. again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. You can visit the Gutsiest Brands playlist on Spotify to check out all of the recommended songs from our amazing guests of the show. 
If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.